Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode we'll be reviewing one picture book and one chapter book. We're starting off with the books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod. And we're popping in out of season for a Halloween surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Surprise! (laughs) Happy Halloween! We hope you missed us, because we're here! (laughs) We're like a big angry werewolf jumping out of a cupboard. We couldn't let Halloween go by without recommending you a couple of spooky books. Yes, so we've got got two of them. Our chapter book is going to be The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. Um, But before we get onto that... We have our picture book, which is Ghosts for Breakfast by Stanley Todd Terasaki. Um, and that's illustrated by Shelley Shinjo. Um, and it's a, a ghost story set on a Japanese Californian farm in the late 1800s. Yeah, so basically um, it's just a family at home. You hear a, a knocking on the door, a pon pon pon. Who could it be but the troublesome triplets who are three fairly elderly blokes who are called the triplets because they're always seen together um, and they're called troublesome because there's always something wrong. <laughs> the troublesome triplets are the only named characters and they're called Mr. Ono, oh Mr. Omi oh and Mr. Oh My and they always start their sentences with Oh no, oh me, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> like narrator not named, parents not named. <laughs> Oh, it's good. It's funny. Um, and they've seen some ghosts that come running in going, there's ghosts in Farmer Tanaka's field. And and Dad's it's kind of just laughing at them going, ah, yeah, there's ghosts. It's like, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, come on, I'll take my son along to have a look. We'll see what these ghosts are about. So they trek up in the dark and the fog's coming in. The son's really scared and Dad's going, it's fine, it's just fog. So, so it's fine, it's just fog. And then the, they hear like a woo, 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 but it's it's just the wind. It's fine. It's just the wind. And then they see the ghosts and the kid here screaming and they go, what am, what what are the ghosts doing, my dad? And it turns out his dad's laughing and they're not ghosts at all. They're radishes that have been hung up to dry and they're waving around. On and the they're daikon lines. radishes. They're big, long, white radishes. Yeah. And so they take armfuls of them home for the triplets and say, we found your ghosts, we've captured some. <laughs> a few days later, the, trip, the triplets come back with a with an offering of, of pickles made from the radishes. They all say, oh, fantastic, ghosts for breakfast. The end. Title drop, mic drop, <laughs> <laughs> author out. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's great. It's 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 a, it's a lovely book. It's really nicely drawn. Yeah. Just... Uh, Nice simple story, and I think like we kind of wanted to, because we're 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 other book for the episode is 
significantly scarier but yeah. we thought it was sort of nice and we'd have a kind of a spooky ghost story for Halloween that isn't really actually that scary it's yeah. just kind of it's interesting historically as well there's a little note from the author inside the book jacket saying that so he's descended from Japanese farmers who settled on the west coast mm. and started farming there um in called the it late 1800s yeah the new japan yeah and so this apparently is something that happened to his granddad <laughs> <laughs> i mean um, it's to- like i can totally see it happening like you know if you're <laughs> out late at night and it's this time of year as well because yeah. it's you know because i know people talk about like the the gap between the worlds being thinner mm. but i think you can definitely feel that like the dad is having fun throughout this story at the beginning he pulls his white shirt up over his head and goes oh they're like this the ghost Woo. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's got no time for them at all does he he's no. like immediately <laughs> Does he clock immediately what this is? <laughs> I think he does because he says um, someone told his wife, oh, we've hung the daikon up to dry. Yeah, yeah. Have you eaten a daikon? No, I don't think I have had a daikon. I'll have to treat myself sometime. Well, I thought it was interesting as well because daikon is what the Japanese-American farmers would have been growing for themselves, not for the American market. It wouldn't have been mm. one of their cash crops. This would have been one that they were you know, just distributing among the community. It's, re- I, it's really nicely drawn as well, this yeah. book. It's, um, we're just seeing on this, on this reading, it's um, like while they're inside, it's, it's, it's very orange and warm and cosy. Yeah. Um, and the drawings are sort of quite flat. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they're really nice, but just, you know, sort of 2D drawings and then they get outside in the moonlight and there's some really nice things done with kind of shading and texture and shadow and you get these much more 3d kind of images and some really lovely sort of drawings of like the fog rolling in and looking Mm. like tendrils or hair and it's got the feeling of a spooky book yes whilst kind of disrupting that and the narrator properly gets spooked like when he's in the fog by himself and he can't see his dad it's definitely scary. Yes, yeah, I mean, his dad's a bit mean, right? Because yeah. the kid's like, I want to go home immediately. This is terrifying. And the dad's just like, nah, nah, shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Oh, he's such like a emblem of masculinity, that dad, isn't he? He's like good looking. He's tall. He's fearless. He's funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, hey, look at me running round with my shirt on my head. Do I make a good ghost? Yeah. And they're like, please don't jock. laugh at this. We know what we saw. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is, isn't he? Like, he's going to go and, like, ping their braces or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> the main family are very good looking, actually, all three of them. It makes sort of the troublesome triplets almost like caricatures. Yeah, they've got very sort of faces long... And their big, wide eyes, and they're sort of looking worried. Yeah, sort of drawn faces, don't yeah. I? <laughs> so this is a very safe ghost story. This is, you know, I think suitable for even your very sensitive child. It'll be fine. Yeah. What age is this book for? Quite little, I yeah. think. You know, I think you could have this read to you from like the age of four or five. Yeah, four or like five that. is what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 It's a nice book. It's a nice sort of 
bedtime read for this time of year. Yeah. You get the you'll get the wind wind howling outside anyway. Our chapter book is nowhere near as safe. Um it's The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. The Jumbies is a Caribbean take on monsters coming to take over a human settlement. Like that's the Yeah, it's broad it's, shape. it's using it's using Caribbean folklore, isn't it? I think Yeah. I think we'd better explain what a jumbie is before we get too much further. So a jumbie yeah. is a supernatural creature from Caribbean folklore. They can look a number of different ways. They could be creepy little men with their feet on backwards and big hats. They could be a beautiful woman with one cow's hoof instead of a foot. That's a la diablesse. Yeah. Uh, um, basically, they can look like real normal people, but they're evil. <laughs> yeah, so there's um, this note from the author. She was brought up on all these European fairy tales, but this was mm. the, these were the folk stories that were told to her to keep her and her peers in line. You know, or like if you didn't like your cousin's new girlfriend, you'd say that she maybe was a jumbie. You yeah, know. like the jumbies live among you. Yeah, like the sort and you, of, you can't be too yeah. careful. And you don't trust anyone. And if you know, you're not yeah. in after dark, the jumbies will have you because the jumbies can't come out during the day. The jumbies can only come out at night. I think she lived in Trinidad till she was yes. 15. Yeah. So I guess she'll have grown up with these stories and mm. then and she wanted to make her own and Caribbean fairy tale. A, and it's a, a absolute, absolute cracking, cracking yeah. Uh, yeah. job of it's properly that. scary. It's got some he- horror oh, elements. I, I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's recommended 8 to 12. I'd say maybe 9 to 12, depending on your child's tolerance for... Um, but the reading level, I would say, within the grasp of, I don't know, your average eight-year-old. The chapters are really, really short. Um, I sort of yeah, wished yeah. that the chapters were illustrated. I was a bit disappointed. I think this story would really lend itself to, you know, just the one little header illustration per chapter model. I think would be really good. Maybe, but I, I, I sort of, I didn't, mm. I didn't feel the need for pictures. This was the thing that I probably love most about this book is like the pictures that it painted for me in my head yeah. were so strong, yeah, and so so all-consuming. Like I, I, I had the thought at one point, like. To some extent, it it feels a little bit like a video game. It feels like hmm. is possibly more of a compliment than it sounds like it is. Like, like an open world wander around the island thing. Yeah, like yeah. particularly like you get some sort of the setting is so rich. Yeah, I felt like I knew that island because yeah. it's set on this Caribbean island, but it has that kind of I guess classic fairy tale structure that maybe spills over into feeling a bit like game design structure mm. of like, it felt like it didn't need a map for me, but if it had a map, it would be like your classic Peter Pan yeah. treasure island kind of map. Like over here is the mangrove swamp where the witch lives. And over here is like the deathly cliffs. And over yeah. here is the Jumbi forest. And here's the village in the middle. But like the way it's described, I could see where all those things were. Yeah. And like this sense of it being like, like quite a small island, like yeah, you could walk across walk it everywhere. in a day or two. Yeah, but it's like big enough to feel like a big world. Yeah, that I think feels reminiscent of like a computer game is that mm. it's like a world that feels satisfyingly big, but 
small enough to be manageable. Mm. We haven't summarised the plot at all yet, so I'll quickly do that. Um, okay. This is the story of Corinne, um, who lives alone with her father, Pierre, and they live right on the edge of the Jumbie forest. And her dad is a fisherman, and she grows oranges for the market. And her mum died when she was four, and she's been growing this orange tree that her mother helped her plant ever since, and it grows the best, sweetest, juiciest, tastiest oranges. Um, so that's their daily life. He goes out fishing, she goes to the market. Um, and these two seemingly horrible boys nick her necklace, which has a stone, like a pendant that she's got, which was a present from her mum, and they tie it to a gooty which is a little animal, and release it into the Jumbie forest. And Corinne chases the Gooty into the forest, manages to catch it, get her necklace back off its tail. And while she's in there, she feels some yellow eyes watching her. And she's like, is that a... No, Jumbies aren't real. Jumbies are just a story that parents tell their children to make them behave. I'm a rational person. So she goes on with the day. She gets revenge on the boys, who eventually become her friends. She goes to the market to sell her oranges, where she meets a little girl called Drew, who goes to the market with her mother to sell her wares. And at the market, they see this weirdly beautiful woman in a green dress. And this weirdly beautiful woman in a green dress sort of like puts everyone's backs up. And then this weird beautiful woman, who turns out to be called Severine, starts showing up. Corinne's house and Corinne starts to realise that maybe there's something wrong with this woman Would you add anything Matt? No, I think you've very much covered it um, <laughs> it's, it's a story which blurs the definitions of us and them Yes. in a really appealing yeah. way you know, it's, it's, a, it's a monster story with goodies and baddies but it really blurs those lines. Yeah. And the and it blurs it really well, really compellingly. There are references to people arriving on this island and the Jumbies have been on this island long before people have. Yeah. And, you know, the people arrived in big boats and some of these people were chained down in the bowels of the ships. And some of them were doing the chaining. Yeah, and, and that's, that's kind as of as, as far says. as it goes yeah. it's that i thought that was really interesting that mm. positioning of it because it keeps that sort of timelessness while very definitely putting it in a kind of place and context in history it's very definitely in the real world yeah know? and um, drawing on the real history of the caribbean yeah yeah for sure um, for sure you've got a great set of characters and the um, children have such ownership of the place as well the children in this yeah. story are so confident going around without adults and, you know, yeah, so yeah. competent as well at like, you know, like even when Corinne first goes to the market and there are some stall owners who are like, you can't set up your pitch here, me, 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 you know, <laughs> this is our spot. Um, she deals yeah. with it. She's all, you know, she can yeah. hold her own. She She's very capable. She's a, in a way, she's like a very appealing heroine to me in like how capable and strong she is and how sceptical she is but that's also kind of her downfall 
is she doesn't believe anything until she really sees it. And so yeah. certain people are warning her and she's like, no, it's fine. It doesn't exist. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Um, and she takes great pride in not being superstitious. And so when the superstitions yeah. come real, it really rocks her world. You know, it really destabilizes her idea of herself. And there's a lot of identity stuff in here as well about whose side mm. should Corinne be on. You know, because she mm, says, mm. well, she says this a lot. She says, grandpère, her grandfather belonged to the sea and her mother had mud in her veins. So she's partly of yeah. the sea and of the land. And her father yeah, yeah. loves to go out fishing. I mean, she doesn't so much. She likes to grow stuff on the land, you know, but yeah. she feels her um, her loyalty's divided a lot. Um, she's quite a and complex it, character. Yeah, it folds into that us and them thing again mm. and that really nice blurring of it that it does because that does feel like it's speaking to modern identity politics yeah. as well as kind of disrupting like the classic good and evil fairy yeah. tale set up um because the witch is such a great yes, character for that i wanted as well. to get onto the you witch know, the white she's, witch go on she's an outsider in just like the most classic sense like she lives out on an island in the swamp and people only ever see her at the market and come to her for like i think there's a bit where she's having a rant about it where she was like oh yeah everyone everyone just comes to me for a quick fix like such and such doesn't love me or i can't get the job that i want or da, da, da. can you give me like some powder to sort that and it's like yeah. well maybe if you worked harder <laughs> or like accepted that this wasn't the right person for you yeah. then that's actually the answer but that's not what people want to hear so i just sit in the market giving people seeds yeah and people think that i'm like powerful and magic <laughs> like <laughs> whereas all oh, i really I am like all i really am is someone who's like got an ounce of sense about him yeah <laughs> oh everyone wants magic but nobody cares that magic is hard work yeah, and that yeah. it's not a quick fix and hard work is magic yeah. also yeah hard work is that's i mean that is one of the central themes of this book yeah. isn't it is so i guess we should say there are situations of real tangible physical danger that the children find themselves in in this oh god yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like it's genuinely scary yeah like there are scary. you know we don't deal directly with it, but, like, definitely a lot of people die in this book. Yes. Nobody like... that we're close to, but yes. I think this is a little bit like what you said about the danger in Giants and the Joneses back in series one, that it peaks and never plateaus. It's a really appealingly structured book yeah. because it's pretty much half for half, isn't it? Like, first half is, like, building tension yeah. and trouble and then second half is sorting that out and yeah. i guess half of that so maybe like the last quarter is like full explosion of like really dangerous situations but yeah, yeah like yeah just literally the chapters start cutting and chopping you'll maybe you'll have yeah. like half a page per chapter yeah i really like that with the pacing it feels really filmic it's great yeah. like it yeah because the first half is it like it's a slow build and mm. then it's like bang 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 thing 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 but it's like <laughs> But it's established everything it needs to establish in the first half so that nothing feels yeah, unearned yeah. in the second half. No, there's nothing is out the blue. There's at, at no point was I going like, oh, well, like, where have you pulled that from? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's convenient. Like, everything's been really carefully set mm. up. It builds really well. Really well-written yeah. action scenes that, like you said, you can really picture. And really believable characters. Yes. I think, you know, I think... These are all characters that I cared about and all felt distinct. I think this is an author who's 
very good at painting characters very mm. quickly. This whole book has this slight cartoonish feel mm. to it um, in a really appealing way. Well, it deals in archetypes in the way that yeah. fairy tales do. But even in the original folklore, I was thinking, you know, the archetypes of women that are painted in what jumbies are, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you clock all of the European fairy tale references in there? One of them is the evil stepmother, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's that same sort of slightly misogynistic yeah. kind of like, <laughs> When Corinne is like uh, placing the oranges when she's running into the forest and doesn't want to get lost, she does a Hansel yeah. and Gretel yeah, with yeah, the oranges. Yeah. And then we've got thorns that grow up around the house, like in Sleeping we've Beauty. We've got a Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, lots yeah. of like little yeah. references. And I think the misogyny comes from there. Well, yeah, but that's clearly in that original folklore as yes, well. Yes, yes, yes. You know, yeah. like evil outsider woman who has a cow hoof instead of a leg <laughs> is pretty misogynistic, right? Like, yeah. You know, I'm not like... <laughs> sure, the misogyny is in the source material. But in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. female characters that are in the book, I think it's very yeah, rich. Great, a great female lead. Yeah. Such a, a really, really brilliant. I love her relationship with Drew because yeah. it's actually yeah. quite conflicty. Like, they rub yeah, yeah. up against each other a lot. So it starts out with Corinne in this leadership role um, mm. over Drew, who seems to be a little bit younger. Yeah, and a bit of a bit of a mama's girl. Yeah, a bit I, of know, a baby, that's, that's youngest her... of the yeah. family, bit sheltered, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, always ready to go and hide behind her mother's sari. Um, Aye. But then Drew challenges Corinne a bunch of times, and Corinne does push her away. Like, she sort of... There's friction there, which I found very believable. Like Well, not... there's a lack of trust as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the brothers as well, because I realised yeah. about halfway... So the brothers are these two homeless boys who live together mm. and fend for themselves. And the mm. older mm. one, Buki, is the one who's always talking. And about halfway through the book, I realised we've never heard Malik speak. Malik doesn't speak. And I thought that's yeah. really that's really radical actually to have a non-speaking character yeah. and not make a massive deal of it. And he does everything just with sign language. But if you think about like the I guess the diversity in the main cast, you've got Indian Caribbean girl and you've got um I think the rest of the main characters are black and you've got I guess able-bodied neurotypical people and then you've got this kid who's non-speaking for the most part could be any mm. reason but i thought of autism and selective mutism possibly um yeah we don't know i mean it sounds like those lads have been through it right yeah like they're, they're homeless Definitely and they're living in a cave trauma informed, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um it i just really i liked how they fit together in this way that doesn't feel like it wouldn't happen. It seems like quite a true representation of people you could find in that place. Can we come back to the White Witch as like a morally yeah, grey we... sort of character? She's like, you think you're in a war, you versus them. I have taken a mm. pledge that I don't take sides. Yeah. So yeah, if I she's... help you once, i got to help them once. She doesn't get involved. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. And, and she says... You don't like this woman who's moved into your house for two days. How do you think they feel about us moving onto their island for, for two hundred years. years? 
Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. see it from their point of view. She's n- and she refuses to produce the silver bullet. The kids come to her several times and they're yeah. like, "Help us! Help us! Help us! Get rid of the jumbies!" And she's like, "No, no! You want the quick fix like everybody else." That's no. where it becomes quite structurally interesting. Because I suppose up to that point, it pretty much follows like the fairy tale structure, right? And then that is the point at which it's like... Broken. Yeah, because that would be the point where magic witch gives, as you say, it gives you the silver bullet or gives you the the thing that's needed. Yeah, and I was expecting it. I was thinking, come on, come on, white witch. Give them a thing. That she's going to go... All right, fine, I shouldn't do this, but yeah. here's the magic potion to pour on the vines. And yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't. She's like, I mean, I think that you can solve it by yourself. But, I, yeah, I mean, I I just want to go to this island. Like, I want to I wanna live there for a bit. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's such a rich environment. Yeah. Um, oh, the smell and of kind the of... oranges throughout. Yeah, you can sort of the smell senses. When you're yeah, reading yeah. it. Yeah. Like I loved I loved that motif coming back again and again, like these the sweetest oranges, the bit and the pips, the little white pip that yeah. she put in the ground and that her mother said, A seed is a guarantee. Mm. You know, all mm. you have to do is look after it every day. Cause that that first half where it's setting things up, like stuff is happening. Mm. But I was I was just quite happy just getting to know that island yeah, as well. Just you know? walking around. Just having a bit of a mooch. Like <laughs> Yeah, definitely yeah, a read market. for like, if you like us, live on the grey, windy and rainy British Isles. This is definitely yeah. a slice of sunshine. And it's citrus. a pick me up for this time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but also it's... like super appropriate for Halloween. Like one of the first scenes happens on Halloween, doesn't it? Completely spooky and completely scary and all of those things. But there's always a... A warm evening breeze. With the scent of oranges threaded through. Yeah. So who's this format? It's slightly older kids, I mm-hmm. think, you know. It says 8 to 12 on the book, yeah. I, I mean, I think you could go slightly higher at the top end. I mean, yeah. I think you could go up to kind of 14, maybe 15 with it. On the younger end, 8 maybe, yeah, but maybe as a read-along. yeah. Like, I would consider the horror elements in this carefully. You know, some kids are going to handle this really easily and really well. Um, but there yeah. are some body horror moments, I guess I would call them. And there are some moments where your main characters are in real physical danger from fighting, yeah. from fire. I Like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, uh, if this book gave a kid nightmares. No. So... Do be aware of that. But it is the nightmare season. So if you want to give them some nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah. I I think a bit of horror for kids is okay. I think, you know, the author's note is quite interesting for this because I think it's a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheek of like, yes. you know, like <laughs> this is meant to be a scary book, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of fine. And I guess you you know your own kid, like, if they're a bit more sensitive. Maybe wait. Maybe, maybe wait a bit. But yeah. I think certainly, certainly by 10... I think yeah. most kids would probably right. be fine with it. Yeah. Oh, what a uh, treasure to grow up with this book, eh? Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, really, really lovely. Properly lovely. That was a special Halloween episode of Even the Trunchbull. We'll be back in your feeds with Series 4 on November 19th with books featuring family recipes. 
Please enjoy your spooks responsibly this weekend. Wear your masks, be they scary or not. <laughs> Wear gloves if you're handing out candy. Um, this year, Halloween is on a full moon, so extra spooks. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yay. Extra Actual genuine ghosts. Werewolf action. <laughs> Yay. That is exciting. Do have fun. Do read each other ghost stories. Do not yeah. go apple bobbing. So, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know or ask grown-up to let us know. We're at eventheTrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull.